Welcome to the Alt Accountant Podcast. Today, we have the honor to have Tim Williams, the author of Positioning for Professionals. Now, this book, which was written in 2010 or published in 2010, it's, I thought it was the best marketing book I had in my, in my bookshelf. But after reading it a couple of times after, I changed my mind. I think it's the best strategy book that I have in my bookshelf. So I would love to talk to Tim about positioning and strategy and how the, both of those things uh, tie together. And as accounting professionals, why that matters. So Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Hector. I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm actually more excited than you, Tim. So uh, <laughs> you're one of our heroes in the areas of strategy and positioning. So what I like to do is let's start off by defining some concepts. So I'd like to ask you to define a couple of concepts for us and we'll create that as the framework. Okay. So let's start with strategy. How would you define strategy? Well, that is a, you started with the toughest question first. Uh, I think there's so many good definitions uh, for strategy. I have a, a whole collection of them. Uh, I, I might say my, my all-time favorite is strategy is deciding what not to do. Uh, how's that for a counterintuitive definition? Um, because companies, uh, I think, define strategy in, in, in so many uh, inappropriate, weak ways uh, that it's, it's best to think of it as subtraction, not addition. It's, it's stripping away all the things that are not part of, that are going to be essential to making your business uh, a success. So let's start with that as, as my definition of strategy. That's perfect. And, and your the, book, the title of your book is Positioning for Professionals. So let's talk about positioning. How is that different than strategy? Well, positioning is a, is a subset of strategy. Uh, bu business strategy uh, is multidimensional. Um, you could argue that positioning strategy and business strategy kind of boil down to, to, to the same thing, uh, but it's really one of the legs of the, of the stool. I, I like uh, kind of this, this three-part definition of, of business strategy which is understanding, it's, it's, a, it's a simple model, think of it as a, a triangle. The, the first piece is uh, understanding how we create value. We have to know what our markets are and the solutions we offer. The second is how we deliver that value through uh, a good organizational structure and production model. And the third leg is capturing the value. Um, so that's through pricing, which I know you talk a lot about, and uh, having an effective revenue model. Uh, positioning is mostly that first piece, which is about creating value, having a clear understanding of who is our customer and what specific products and services and solutions do we offer to that customer. And what about value proposition? How would you define that if it wasn't somehow already kind of included in everything you, you mentioned? Yeah, value proposition is the expression of your positioning strategy. Uh, if you were to write it in a sentence, if, if you were to, in the uh, proverbial elevator pitch, if you were asked in a 30-second elevator ride, hey, I've heard of your company, tell me what you do, it, it's your memorable differentiating way of articulating your positioning strategy. And a lot of folks view as that uh, 30-second pitch or 30-second uh, positioning statement as this sort of gimmicky way to sell yourself. But you, you make it a really important point to say that coming up with that is an incredibly valuable exercise. 
for a firm. Why is that? Well, because it's a it's a wasted opportunity. I mean, think of how many times you've been asked the question, "Hey, I've heard of your firm. Tell me what you do," and we 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 blow it. We say, "Oh, well, we're a full service." Uh, uh, accounting firm offering a wide range of services to lots of different clients in a variety of industries. I mean, that's a pretty bad answer. Uh, you, and, unless you stop and think about uh, what, what is what are, are the specific ways in which you create value for customers, you'll you'll just fumble with an answer like I just gave, and you'll you'll default to what everybody else says. My favorite top of the list is full service, which is a meaningless term if there ever was one. And you'll talk about how you've done everything for everybody, which is not a strategy. It's the absence of a strategy. And you say that size is not a strategy. What do you mean by that? Uh, I have a whole long list of things that don't qualify as strategy. That that uh, and that's maybe the the, the one that that we use most often is we we say well. Uh, we're a firm of 30 people, and we 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 feel like the the size of our firm uh, somehow is is what will give us credibility and will differentiate us. Uh, when in fact, it's it's irrelevant how, how big our firm is. We 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 could be huge or tiny. Uh, the question really is: Are are we the right fit for you in terms of solving your business problems? And is the, the smaller companies or the smaller firms, regardless of the industry, that tend to be the most nimble and the ones that adapt to change or create change faster than the bigger companies anyway, isn't it? Oh, absolutely right. The, in, in our work with professional firms around the world, it, it's always true that the innovators are the smaller firms. Uh, we, we like working with the smaller firms for that reason, because they're masters of their own destiny, can call their own shots, and they're, they are uh, able to, to test and learn and innovate and experiment uh, in ways that the, the big firms can do. It's just harder for them to do. They have to go through too many uh, layers and chains of command. And uh, give us a little bit insight about uh, your career and how you arrived at this point. So let me ask you, what, what is your background? What do you do now? And give me your own, give me your own 30 second elevators, elevator pitch on how you create value. Well, my, my background is uh, I, I started uh, in the uh, advertising agency business. I uh, worked in, in New York at uh, some of the uh, larger firms, the, the so-called uh, Madison Avenue firms. Uh, if you've watched a few episodes of Mad Men, I'm not quite that old, but you, you get a feel for uh, what my early career w was like. Uh, and um, after 20 years of that, I uh, decided that I would uh, succumb to the academic streak that I have. Uh, most of my other siblings are uh, academics. They're college professors and uh, and had written books. And so I've got that uh, in me. And I, I, I'd always wanted to, uh, to, to write and teach. So consulting is uh, the vehicle to do that and uh, just find a lot of professional satisfaction in uh, working directly with firms to help uh, transform their, their businesses. So uh, what, what we do is we, we liberate firms from the tyranny of an unfocused business strategy is uh, my, my 30 seconds. Uh, there, there's a lot that, that uh, underlies that, but, but if you think about one of the most common reactions we get from, from firms who have decided to 
focus what they do, to stop trying to be a generalist and decide that they're going to be they're going to stand for something instead of trying to stand for everything. The reaction we get is, "Wow, this is really liberating." This, this I thought this would feel constricting and limiting, and it feels just the opposite because now that we're focused on our core competencies, we're we we feel like we've we've got lots that we can do to bring that to life. And and focus is a word that shows up a lot in your book. Uh, so I'm sure that your message is a lot about focus. Now, when, when, I, when I talk about differentiation and specialization, and especially in my circles uh, with other accounting uh, experts and accounting conferences, the concept of a vertical or an industry comes in along quite a bit. Is, is being different or focus specifically mean that you have to focus or work in an industry, or is there some flexibility around that? Yeah, that's a, a really good question and one that uh, I get a lot. The answer is no. It's one of three main ways that you can think about focus. It's the one that, that I think first comes to mind, uh, the idea that your, your firm will choose a specific business sector or, or industry or um, category. So that can be healthcare, retail, telecommunications. And indeed, that can be a very uh, effective strategy because the the, the first thing that a prospective client wants to know about your firm is, do you know my business? Do you understand my business? So that, that, that tends to ha have a lot of value. Uh, the, the second way, so we call that a who focus, meaning you're, fo you're focused on serving a particular type of, of customer. The second we call a what focus, which is the idea that you, you're going to serve a variety of different industries, but you're going to offer... A, a very uh, narrow, limited focus set of services. So you're just going to do audit work, or you're just going to do uh, consulting work, or you're just going to focus on, or just tax. I mean, just one thing. Uh, I guess kind of like your your business sector, where you're, as I understand it, mostly focused on 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 QuickBooks. And sure. uh, the the third area, which is harder to pull off, but the one that most firms uh, default to, unfortunately, uh, we call how. And that is dif differentiating your firm based on a unique set of philosophies or methodologies or approaches uh, that you're in some way set up in such an unusual way that that sets you apart. So uh, that you're a, you're, you're a virtual firm. You, you, you tap into the best talent globally and to bring to bear against a client problem. That's a how kind of a positioning strategy. But it's it's hard to pull off it's hard very few firms can can be that different and that unique that they can hang their hat on on a how um but mo but but as i say it's the default it's the it's the strategy that most firms um say well look here what's different about us is we try harder or we're smarter or i mean some some type of, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a meaningless kind of a promise that any firm could say, and they put it on their business card, and they think that's, that's their strategy. And it just, it needs to go a lot, lot further than that for it to qualify as a how. So who, what, how, three different main ways you can focus your firm. And that, this is tied to something that you called uh, defining your boundaries, which is uh, calling customers competencies and culture, right? Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, so we we could we could throw in uh, a, a fourth one. Uh, these are the the boundaries. If you think if you think of the idea, and we hear this often. Uh, gee, I don't really want to focus my business strategy. I don't want to be boxed in. You know, they use that terminology, and it made me think. Well, actually you want to be boxed in. If you don't have a box, if you don't have some boundaries, you don't have a strategy. Uh, you're, you're scrambling, trying to serve every kind of customer, every, every kind of market. So yeah, in the, in the model, in the book, uh, customers is, is the who, the competencies is the what, uh, the, the, the culture is the how, and um, I'm missing one of the C's. You have it right in front of you, don't the you? Calling. <laughs> the, the calling. The calling. Yeah, right. So that's that's that is what we call why, why. So that that is uh, rarely the basis of your positioning strategy, but it's an important uh, part of it. Once you've decided the other factors, once you've decided the who, what, how, it's important to think about the why, which is the the question of purpose. Uh, why are you in business in the first place? What what are you? What kind of difference are you trying to make in the world that transcends making money? Um, so that that one's a that that's an important thing to think through. But it's not the best place to start because it's the the most difficult of the four questions to answer. And in terms of specific tactics, because you do, I mean, your book is mostly about mindset and strategy, not so much about specific tactics. But I like uh, my my favorite part was the five S's, uh, this is kind of like the how, you know, in terms of tactically, how you, you form or create or communicate those differentiations. You want to talk about those uh, services, yeah. staffing, self-promotion, systems, and staging. Yep, yep. We, we, uh, we focus on those five areas constantly. So it's this idea that once you've decided, you could argue that, that developing the strategy is, is a lot of work. It's it's pretty tough, but it's not the hardest work. The hardest work is then bringing it to life in, inside your organization. So the, the five S's represent the major business practices that that you then have to address to make sure that you are you're reflecting your strategy in all five of these areas. So the first is uh, services and structure. That that's the idea that and this is the most obvious. You're going to have to make sure that your service offering is is a faithful reflection of your positioning strategy and it, it will mean deciding to start doing some things and to stop doing things um, some of the services that you were doing with your new strategy you're going to stop doing as i said it's strategies deciding what not to do and peeling away those things that are extraneous and not core to your strategy is really essential the second s is uh staffing uh, staff management talent development so this means Hiring, recruiting, training, developing your people in ways that complement and build upon your strategy. The third S, self-promotion and business development. So your website, the way you market your firm, how you appear in social media, what you write about, what you blog about, what you post about, all should be on strategy. It should be reinforcing your strategy. Fourth S, uh, we call systems and processes. So this one is less obvious, but very often a, a new strategy will have implications around your internal workflow process, how you get your work done. And it also is going to impact pricing. We Pricing fits into this uh, area of systems because you, you have to have a different 
or we, at least we hope you have, would have done a different approach uh, for, for pricing, which I know you've uh, had lots of other guests talking about pricing. The last one, staging and resources. So this is about your physical place of business, physical and virtual place of business, all the touch points that surround your brand, um, your how your business cards look, what, what a visitor sees when they walk into your office. Does, does all of that portray uh, and build upon your positioning strategy. So if you if you execute in all five of those areas, uh, then then you've successfully brought your strategy to life. You're living your brand. So if someone was uh, watching or listening to this, and also they they read your book and they sit down and they open up a word file and they say, let me let me let me put this together in in, in writing. So I so I have a, a map to start with. Uh, the first four things to do is to define the the boundaries. Which That's right. The calling, the customers, competencies, and culture, which is who, what, why, and how. Yep. Right? And and then once you have that, which basically defines uh, what your business is before you actually define how you do it in, in very specifics. Then you break down the five S's, and the five S's are designed for you to plan how you will communicate or how this strategy will show. You say, come to life. Come to life means you communicate it, people observe it, or it's on the website, people are reading about it, correct? Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. And, and ultimately, you should be able to distill your, uh, all of that on one side of one sheet of paper. Um, a, a, a big, long, rambling document uh, is probably not a strategy. Uh, you know, you may have a plan, but you don't have a strategy. A strategy you should be able to articulate in, in uh, using a, a lot fewer words. So, just as you said, Hector, it, you start with your who, your what, your how, your why, and then an articulation of the key priorities, the key initiatives that will be required to bring that to life in those five areas. You put that in writing. You've got you've got a very good uh, template for executing your strategy. And nowadays, where you know the marketing folks are pushing so much to say, hey, you have to build a personal brand. You have to be on social media. You have to start a podcast. You have to do video. You have to write content. Uh, a lot of I think a lot of my colleagues take that uh, suggestion and they start doing it, but they don't take a step back and build a strategy behind that first. And when it ends up happening is they get a little bit frustrated that they don't see the results. And not surprisingly, it's because it's confusing. I mean, even if they get someone to actually read what they're writing or listen to their podcast or watch their video, they become a little bit confused because they tend to just be all over the place because accountants, we are all over the place. I mean, Tim, I don't know, you've never probably sit through the CPA exam but the CPA exam, it's all over the place. It's, it, 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 it tests in so many things. So we start a career from the get-go being the ultimate generalist. And the other piece of insight, you probably know this from working with accountants, but most businesses don't have the concept of having multiple accountants. They just have one. So what ends up happening is the accountants get comfortable with clients that only have one accountant. The, the customers get Get, get comfortable with just one accountant and we end up doing everything that has to do with accounting and it doesn't allow us or, or, or become the platform for us to be specialists. So I know you talked about the concept of, 
hey, you can have multiple uh, marketing agencies, you can have multiple PR agencies serving you on different competencies and different specialties. What do you think about this notion of maybe businesses should also have multiple accountants with multiple specialties? Yeah. Yes. And that the, what you're talking about is really a function of size. Uh, you could think of these two things being inversely related. The, the degree to which the professional is focused is inversely related to the size of the client that they're serving, meaning the smaller the client, the smaller the company, the more likely they're going to want a one-stop shop accountant or one-stop shop lawyer or ad agency because they're a small organization. Uh, they don't have the sophistication and the budget to to have lots of different service providers. The, but, but larger companies, it's just the opposite. The larger companies, for example, in the world of marketing, the average Fortune 1000 company has 17 ad agencies, 17. So these are all firms that are doing different things. They are specialized in different areas because large companies, the larger the company, the more inclined they are to want to work with what they would think of as a best-in-class specialist. They want best-in-class. They understand that no one firm can be that good in everything, that firms, the best firms, are those that uh, have, have chosen a particular path. So um, it's the, the difference between, you know, if you're, a, if you're the only doctor in town, you're the so-called country doctor, then you do everything from fix broken arms to, uh, you know, perform minor surgery. Uh, but if you're in a large city, you're, you're going to have lots of different specialists. So it really, it comes down to a personal choice, I think. And I, I've learned to ask this question of the, the firms that we work with. If you really enjoy being a generalist and you, you, you like being called upon for lots of different things, you can do that. But that's a strategic choice because the kinds of companies, the kinds of client organizations that are going to want that and who want to buy that are small. They're the small companies. So you'll you'll forever you won't be working with the big Fortune 500 companies. That but if but if that's if that's the the kind of thing that you get professional fulfillment from, great. On the other hand, don't aspire to work for the big large companies uh, if you insist on being a generalist because that's not going to happen. Uh, they are looking, as I said, for best-in-class talent. So it comes down to a personal choice. You, and, and it involves, uh, you know, I've met people who I get halfway through a uh, consulting engagement only to learn that they hate travel, <laughs> which I, I've now lear learned to ask early on, like, well, how do you feel about travel? Because if you're going to be a specialist and you're going to work for the large firms, you're going to be, you're going to spend a lot of time on airplanes, which is, the story of my life. Uh, and some people won't, don't want to do that. They want to be home for their kids' soccer game and they want to be part of the local community, you know, golf club. And that's fine, but it's a choice that you make. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I, have, I have four kids and I, I'd rather stay home and spend sure. more time with my family than travel. I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I, something that you said resonated with me. And I, I haven't heard it articulated that way, which I think it was brilliant. I have a lot of my colleagues that say, I can't get out of what I'm doing to go specialize. Almost like I'm stuck because I have a big client base, I have bills to pay, 
and my current client base wants me to do everything. Ergo, I do everything. And what you're saying is, this is a vicious cycle that you're going to be stuck in. If you offer everything, you're going to get customers that want everything. And customers that want everything are small and not the most desirable ones. So, so on, 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 until someone takes the leap, right, and has the courage to say, okay, I'm not doing everything anymore. I'm only doing this, which means you may have to drop all the ones you currently have in order to create that freedom. Um, then, then at some point, the big opportunities or those desirable bigger companies that want a specialist will kick in, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's rarely, it rarely involves that much sacrifice. It's really, it's not usually that black and white. It's not a matter of you have to drop everything you're doing and start over with a more focused strategy. Rather, what, what we recommend is that you take your current client, because your position is going to come from what you're already doing in some form. You're not going to make it up out of thin air. Uh, if you look at your current client base and, and, and your experience over time, there are, there are some strong patterns in what you do. Um, we, we walk uh, firms through a process of helping them think through each of these four areas. It's, so we start with who. We say, so over the years, what types of industries and categories and businesses are most prominent, most dominant in your client mix? And very often, uh, the answer will be, well, I don't know. It's all over the place. We've done a little bit of everything, and we have to push back and say, well, wait a minute. Let's let's count it. Let's let's list them, and how big were they? And and sometimes you look at it and say, well, actually, no. There, you you have a very strong pattern here. You you've worked with uh, mostly service companies, not product companies. You've worked mostly with retail, not manufacturing. I mean, there there are patterns that if you look and think creatively, you you can see a common thread in in the who and the same with the what you say well what kind of services do you offer oh well we do everything okay but let's let's be a little more deliberate about that analysis like what specifically and how much of your business really was it what how much of your revenue came from these various uh, service lines and a pattern there emerges as well and so from from that you can decide you can make the decision okay there there's enough here that I don't have to completely fire my current client base. I can keep uh, probably half or more of the clients I already have um, and, and then just make sure that uh, all new clients, all new business, all new prospecting is going to be in our, in our focus area. The, the clients that we have that, that aren't necessarily wanting just that aren't going to last forever. Uh, they'll eventually maybe outgrow us or go elsewhere. We'll serve them while we can, but when they do move on, we'll replace them with a client that is more uh, in our area of focus. So it's a matter of evolution, not revolution. Uh, you still need a client base for an income stream to fund your transformation. Um, you, you just want to do it one opportunity at a time. And Tim, what about the firms? or individual professionals that already believe they're differentiated, right? Because almost everybody I speak to, it, it's, it's pretty proud on how different they are. And when you actually dig into it, they're really not that different. I don't know if that happens in your, with the companies you work with, but it happens with my colleagues all the time. Everybody sort of walks around believing 
they're very different and unique and their client base is unique and how, to, how they do things is unique. What do, you, what do you say to those? Well, there's a term for that. It's called uh, confirmation bias. Uh, it's this idea that we executives, and this has been widely researched, executives of a company, when asked the question, uh, is your firm highly differentiated? 80% of executives of the firm will say, oh yeah, definitely, we, we are. You ask the customers of that same company and it will be less than 20%. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's this idea of being too, too close to your own business. You're, you're, you're in effect connoisseurs of your own category, right? You, you know your business and your category so well that you feel like you appreciate all, all the fine little differences that make you different from the firm down the street. But your customers are, are not uh, experts in, in your category. They don't see or perceive or appreciate any of those differences. So your positioning strategy has to be done through the lens and from the point of view of the customer outside in, not inside out. And so once smart company executives understand that premise, they, you know, they, they, they can kind of walk back um, their feelings about, um, about how differentiated they are because they, they will realize that, you know, really they have just copied, they mostly have copied what other, they're bits and they're an amalgamation of lots of other firms that they've just picked bits and pieces and copied. They haven't really uh, tried to develop their own unique business and positioning strategy. And in your book, you actually uh, talk about our, our, the nature of humans to copy. Like we have this urge to copy and it has to do with survival. I think it's very interesting your take on that. You mind sharing that? Uh, yeah, it's the, it's, uh, the, the work of anthropologists who, who show that the, the deepest, oldest instinct in humans is copying because we needed it for survival. Uh, if you think about uh, early hunter-gatherer societies, uh, we, we, we would look to other successful humans and copy their behaviors, uh, whether it was in hunting or farming or it, it was, it made a lot of, it makes a lot of sense when it comes to human survival. And it, and that's why it, it runs so deep in our DNA. We are so prone to copy. That's what best practices are all about, right? I, I hate the concept of best practices because all you're doing is going out and copying what other firms do. It's karaoke capitalism. Um, the, but so it's hard to resist that urge. It, it runs counter to our human nature to, to say, no, I'm actually not going to copy uh, the successful behaviors of other companies. I'm going to try and uh, understand what makes us different and, and unique and build upon our own unique strengths. Yeah, it's interesting uh, in many places where I go present or speak in public or I see folks like Ron Baker speak, uh, this concept of presenting a new, let's call it a semi-radical idea, something very different, and the reaction of the audience to say, well, who else is doing this? You know, as, as a way, yeah. to, as a way to, to, to figure out whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, you know, so many times we, uh, 
we want something to make sense in our heads for us to say that's a good idea rather than acting upon you know that visceral reaction of this is crazy that's kind of like where the best ideas come from that's where disruption comes from when things are so crazy and radical that they make no sense where you say oh, our custom my customers are going to hate this you know that's kind of that should be the 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 beginning of your thought process about innovation uh, isn't it i mean it, it could be said that the ultimate positioning strategy is to be in a category of one meaning you're literally the only firm on the planet doing this this particular thing so the question who else is doing this becomes pretty irrelevant and and it's actually by far my least favorite question uh, you know when the hands go up well who else is doing this and you know our my answer and my colleague Ron Baker has even stronger reaction. Uh, you know, our, our answer is usually, well, what would it matter if the answer was nobody? Uh, does that, is that any reason why you shouldn't do it? Uh, if anything, it's more of a reason that you should do it. Um, because then, then you'll be in, you know, what they call the blue ocean. If you, uh, there's a great book called blue ocean strategy and the, the idea is you want to be in the blue ocean where nobody else is sailing. Most companies are stuck in the red ocean and it's red from the blood of their competitors who were fighting out, uh, fighting for every little shred of business, um, doing the same thing, going after the same customers. Uh, the other, uh, I think, really inspirational way to look at this is the, the work of Peter Block. And uh, he's written several books, but, but in particular, the answer to how is yes uh, is the title of one of his books. And um, that question about who else is doing it or, well, this all sounds good in theory, but how do you actually do it? He, he says that all, all how questions are essentially expressions of disbelief, that you're not yet persuaded that of the value of a positioning strategy. So when we get how questions in consulting work, we know we haven't, we've got to go back and, and lay some more groundwork on why a unique strategy is a, is a good thing and why that is uh, going to help you be more successful in business. Because the, the answer to how is yes, like, okay, we'll figure out how to do this. We're convinced it's the right strategy. So you mentioned uh, Peter Block's book, The Answer to How is Yes. I haven't read that one, but I have read Flawless Consulting. So I'm, I'm sure some of the themes are close to that. So I'll read, I'll read that one. As well, thank you for the recommendation. Since we're talking about books and you were talking about this category of one, have you read Peter Thiel's uh, Zero to One? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there's no stronger argument than, than that, that book. Uh, the idea of you, you, you want to be a monopoly. Um, and you can only do that if you've, if you've got, you know, uh, a strong focused business strategy that, that, that really is difficult or impossible to copy. Um, that, that's one of the litmus tests of, of a good strategy is that it's difficult or impossible. It would take, it would be very difficult for somebody else to copy it. Yeah. Accountants ask me all the time, you know, Hector, why do you do, why do you do YouTube videos? You know, why do you pour all your knowledge into YouTube and essentially teach other people to do what you do or shoot yourself in, in the foot or fire yourself out of your own job by teaching others how to do things? And at first, I didn't really know why I was doing it. What I knew is that I was committed to doing it, whether it sounded like a good idea or a bad idea. And now five years into it, I know why I do it. 
And the reason why I do it is because when I propose something to a, to a customer and they come back and say, I, you know, that's too expensive. And, and that's normal. That, that's, that's the type of behavior that I want from all my new, I want all my new prospects, not some, all of them. I want them all to react. That's too expensive because I want to shake to the core what they thought the value of an accountant is or potentially can be. And that's the right starting point. I mean, in my opinion, that's the right starting point. And, and Peter Block has a video in YouTube where he, <laughs> I, I think I, I, I love it. He talks about uh, the beginning of every conversation should be no. You know, when, when you start with complacency, yeah. that, that's only going to go backwards. It's the, 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 the contention of I disagree is the best place to start. But anyway, like I was saying, so the reason why I do YouTube videos is because when they come back and say, you're too expensive. And I usually say something like, you know, what are you comparing it with? Just so I understand. And they say, well, you know, so-and-so down the street can do that for half the price. And my answer is, that, okay, that's fine. That's totally okay. Just do me a favor. Make sure you watch, you know, so-and-so down the street's uh, accountant's YouTube channel. Make sure that, that that person has proven to you in a, in a public manner that this is their area of expertise. And then we come back and make a value judgment. And then usually the answer is, well, I can't find so-and-so's YouTube channel. And I say, exactly. <laughs> That's the reason why I did it. That's why I didn't know why I was doing it. And, 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 and every accounting argument was against it. And spending hours and hours recording video, creating content was not bringing me any value in the short term. But after you have a library of content out there that defines who you are, what you do, and why you do it, and people hire you from the point that they read a piece that you wrote or listen to your podcast or watch the video, that person is, is pretty much sold. And yes, it's okay for them to say you're too expensive. That's the right place to start because you want people to challenge you on the value right away. So that way you can have a discussion around that. So yeah. Tim, as, as we wrap this up, I know you've also done some extensive work around pricing and I'm not sure if that's your transition into that or, or, or that's where you are now. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about pricing, but before sure. we do that, I don't want to leave the topic of differentiation because there's one more thing I want to ask you. In your book, you, you have these concepts called uh, points of parity, points of relevance, and points of difference, which is a way to describe how people go about, I guess, you know, defining their differentiation. Do you mind explaining those? Yeah, uh, there, there's, a, there's an argument that uh, a strong positioning strategy really lives at the intersection of relevance and differentiation. Uh, the, the three different gradations you just mentioned are, are kind of a variation of that. But if you think of two axes, relevance and differentiation, uh, it, it would be possible, uh, if you think about it, to, to have a firm that's very different, but nobody wants to buy it. It's not relevant to anyone's needs. Um, there's also the possibility that you'd be very, very relevant. What you do is very valuable and it's in demand, but you're not differentiated at all from the other firms that do it. So you want to strike a balance between those two things. You, you want to make sure your offering is relevant, that there's a, there's a market for it. Whether the market currently exists or not, you can, you can create it. You know the demand is there. That's the principle of disruptive innovation. <clears throat> and then you want to go to market in a very differentiating way so that how you market your brand is 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 different um, than than the others that might do something that is a little bit similar. And one of the best ways to do that 
to the point you just made is to showcase your expertise. Um, uh, writing, blogging, speaking, the, the people who really are experts are doing that. And the people who masquerade as experts generally don't. Um, I, I also think that, that it is, uh, I believe in this idea that I think Stephen Covey taught that uh, you should give away everything you know and more will come back to you. You know, you, 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 if you hoard all your expertise and your knowledge, you're not helping anyone. You're not really helping yourself. Go ahead and share it. Don't be, don't be so concerned that somebody's going to steal your intellectual property. Uh, I, I try and, and, and write about virtually everything I know or everything I learn because I, uh, I enjoy it and I feel like it will benefit other people. And I know eventually that that will benefit me as well. And you can make some strong connections with folks that you've never even seen or met by just sharing knowledge, right? Yeah, absolutely. There was, uh, there's an example that I used in a conference uh, recently. I'm not sure where they got it from. I must have stolen from Ron Baker probably. <laughs> I basically steal everything from, from him. Um, you know, the money that you have in your pocket or in your bank really has no value until what happens, right? Like, what needs to happen in order for that money to manifest its value? Uh, when, when you have a need, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the idea that none of us would ever spend $100 on, on a product or service. We, we spend it on utility. Right. We spend it on usefulness. Right. But it's the, the keyword spend it, right? So it, yeah. when it's in your pocket, it's a piece of paper. Yeah. When you spend it, it becomes an action and something, it, it, then it has a value. I argue that knowledge is the same thing. When the knowledge is sitting in your head, it has no value. It's until you spend it, which, you know, spending in this case would be using it, putting it to work or sharing it, that it has the value. So I think a lot of folks don't want to share the knowledge because they feel that's their know-how. That's, that's, that's their process. That's their edge. Knowing something someone else doesn't is your edge. It's ridiculous because if your customer doesn't know that you know it, or, or if the customer didn't get it from you graciously through whatever content channels, they'll probably never know what value you can bring, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I think that's right. The, uh, you're more prone to do business with someone that, that uh, appears to know what they're talking about. And if they play everything so close to the vest, you have no way of judging that. And so we've, we've done pretty much a summary of your entire book. I, I would still say people buy the book. It's called uh, Positioning for Professionals. It's about 150 pages. It's a great read. And it's one of those books that you can always go back and reference. You know, I bought this book in 2015 when I heard Tim speak in, uh, in the Soul of Enterprise podcast or either Kirk Bowman's Art of Value podcast. I forget which one it is. And I completely fell in love with, with, with uh, your concepts. Tim, why does, why does all this matter? Like, why do you have to have a strategy and a position and focus on a customer and a specialty? At the end, why does this matter? Right? Is, it, is it prestige? Is it pricing? Is it profitability? Is it happiness? Why does this matter? Uh, well, I think you've touched on, on a lot of them. Uh, I think, ultimately, it, it's a matter of personal satisfaction. Um, because it's more satisfying to do something that you know well, where you can 
clearly create value for someone else where you get personal satisfaction. And I think we've all felt that. Uh, we've had the experience in professional services of helping someone else. You've helped solve an important problem that made a big difference in, in their lives. It is is good good for your client, but it's also deeply satisfying for you that, that, that you were able to do that. And I, I think most of us search want that kind of meaning in life if we're if we're spread too thin if we're if we're trying to do too many things if if we're um, trying to represent that we know as something that we're where we're only superficially informed it, it makes us feel um, you know that that's a very unsatisfying experience so I, I'd say at a very deep level that 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 is why it matters um, yeah, you know, that's an internal kind of a way of thinking about it. Externally, absolutely, you're going to have a more profitable company. And, and let's face it, it's not just that you personally want more money, but you're going to have a more successful enterprise. You're going to be able to to hire and support and sustain better people uh, to work with and, uh, you know, it, it enrich their lives as well. So it's, uh, it, it's both an internal and external uh, factor there, I think. And at the end of the day, it's the economics, right? Is it's being able to position yourself or have a strategy that puts you in a place to charge more, to be more profitable, and to work with clients that want to pay more to get more. Because money, and, and we said, I asked you why this matters. We didn't mention money in a whole, but at the end of the day, money is the conduit in which people judge the success of this, right? That's right. Yeah, we. Uh, I know uh, a firm uh, who says uh, we want to be the most expensive, most effective firm you've ever worked with, and I think that's the right way to think about it. Now, is it, should that be a thirty-second elevator pitch? <laughs> it's not their positioning strategy, but it's their pricing. It's the way they think about pricing. They they want to be, and I know you talk about this too. They want to be the premium price. But they also want to promise right along with that that yeah, it's expensive, but you'll get you'll get much more value in return. It's this idea that in an economic transaction, both parties have to make a profit. The seller has to make a profit, but the buyer should make a profit as well by you giving them more value than is represented by your price. And then you get the proverbial double thank you. A double thank you. Exactly right. So, Tim, uh, one last words you have about what we spoke about or pricing to wrap it up with pricing. And then after you're done with that, tell me your favorite Peter Drucker quote. Oh, wow. Uh, well, wrap up. I, uh, I think maybe uh, we, we might have done that. Uh, just this idea of the, the professional satisfaction that, that, that comes from focusing in an area where you feel like you have some knowledge and credibility and, and can truly help create value. Uh, favorite Peter Drucker quote, that is really tough. Um, I'd say in my favorites and probably the most provocative, all profit is derived from risk. All profit is derived from risk. Because I think we, we are so risk averse, uh, especially when it comes to pricing. And let's face it, it's why a lot of firms don't do the hard work of positioning strategy is it feels risky. Uh, yet, 
the, the, the those things are completely related. The, the the more risk we take, the the more uh, we're capable of earning. The it's just true in life. You want to make more money, take more risk. Um, so we're it's it's a risk to come into work in the morning and turn on the lights and pay your employees. I mean that's all a risk. Uh, we just want to see risk as an economic positive and not something to be avoided. Yeah, spending an hour talking in a podcast is a risk, right? We have the, there's an opportunity cost, right? Yeah, sure. So, Tim, how can people learn more about, uh, about what you do, your blog, your company, everything? Uh, well, we're online at ignitiongroup.com. Uh, the, the book, Positioning for Professionals, and my first book, Take a Stand for Your Brand, are, are both on Amazon. Um, I write a blog called Propulsion, which is uh, also on the website, and I write quite a lot on LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn influencer, so you can you can see uh, my uh, articles there as well. Um, and uh, I don't have uh, as prolific a YouTube channel as, as you. Uh, most of what I do is is uh, written, not video. But uh, uh, I would uh, welcome any inquiries, and I, I always learn from the people I interact with. So I appreciate you inviting me today. That was great, Tim. Thank you very much. 